I couldn't talk at that point. I was like on the floor in the shower. I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like I, I was just so shook by the fact that it was that intense. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Which birth story was your birth like? Did you hear an experience that was similar to yours as you prepared? Or was your experience of birth totally different from anything that you'd imagined? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 215 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and today we are speaking to Miriam. Miriam is a first-time mama to a nine-month-old baby girl, Noah Ivy, a social impact consultant, and a Brooklyn transplant turned aspiring homesteader. Once she decided on home birth, she prepared thoroughly, listening to audiobooks and podcasts, reading stories, and yet we will hear how her birth differed from all that she had expected. Now, this little intro is a perfect time for me to share some really exciting upcoming information. I have a new home birth mini course coming out and available to you this Friday, February 3rd. This is 2023 for those listening in the future, Uh, but it is called Achieve Your Empowering Home Birth. And this mini course is going to walk us through how how do we do it? How do we genuinely prepare for the home birth that we so deeply desire? So if you want first access to that, the link is going to be in my bio on my Instagram page on Friday. So you can go there, click it and get started. Otherwise, from here on out, it will be in all of the show note links. So you'll be able to access it that way. Uh, But I wanted to let you know that that's coming. And I'm so excited to be able to share this information with all of you. All right, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa, and the show is not medical advice, it's an educational tool, so continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Miriam, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm really excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, You have a very different first home birth experience, despite the fact that you had listened to all the stories and, uh, you know, really felt like you had appropriate expectations for what you were going to experience. It turns out it was different from all of that, um, which I think is something that we probably, many of us end up experiencing. So I'm thrilled for us to be able to talk through that uh, during this episode. But before we get there, would you mind taking just a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Miriam. I consider myself a Brooklyn transplant. I lived in uh, New York for eight years before moving back to Milwaukee. I grew up here, but feels like I'm very much uh, a newbie. I I don't know anyone except my immediate family. Um, So we're kind of adjusting to that Midwest uh, (laughs) lifestyle right now. Um, I am a first-time mom to my now nine-month-old, Noah, um, who is 
amazing, my little best friend. Um, and I'm a consultant. I'm a professional writer for Social Impact Report. So I have kind of some flexibility with working from home and um, hoping to continue down everything home moving forward. Yeah. I love that. That is so cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's a very different pace from Brooklyn to <laughs> the Midwest. That's a lot. Yeah. And I feel like I have this kind of like homesteader kind of heart and I'm just keep, I keep trying to do that wherever I am. Like I was fermenting food in my little apartment during the pandemic in Brooklyn. And then now we're kind of all into all of the homesteader things, all of the like raw milk, all of the fermenting, all the sourdough, baking and from scratch, local, like all this stuff. So I'm very much trying to get in there with, you know, where we're at right now. That's awesome. I'm currently drinking my raw milk right now from my coffee <laughs> cup, but that is that is perfect. You're right right up my alley, Miriam. That's yeah. great. Um, well, okay, so let's talk about this. What I want to hear the backstory. I want to hear um, how you even got to the point of conception. So so take us back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I I kind of think that you know, getting pregnant at that time was exactly what I needed. But at the at the moment, it felt like the worst possible timing. Um, essentially, we had decided to move back what was supposed to be temporarily, maybe still is temporary to Milwaukee. Um, when my lease was up in Brooklyn with my then boyfriend, um, he my my now husband, uh, he is actually was not a U.S. citizen at the time. He was not even living in the U.S. Um, he was visiting me and then just got stuck in New York with me for months in my little tiny apartment. Um, and so, you know, when I when my lease is up, we thought, OK, let's let's go closer to my family that lives here Um you know, get our finances in order, save a little money, and then, you know, we'll figure out where to next. Um, so we moved back to Milwaukee, and we kind of switched off back and forth between renting and then living with my parents in between um, leases to kind of save up and travel a bit. Um, and uh, at the moment after our, like, we ended up getting married during the pandemic. It was like a really beautiful uh, backyard wedding at my parents' house, 30 people. It ended up being like so perfect. Um, and a couple weeks after our wedding, I got laid off, which was super unexpected. And it was like partially COVID related and partially like it felt like, I don't know. It felt like they were really just trying to get rid of like all of the people that were asking questions and having issues with some of the changes that they were putting in place. Um, so I was in kind of a rough place in terms of getting laid off. It was like right before the holidays. So it was hard to find anything. Nobody was getting back to me in terms of interviewing. Um, and so in the spring of that year, so this would have been um, 2021, spring of 2021, I decided, okay, I'm not finding a job right now. I have time on my hands. Um, I'm going to do a couple of things. So I decided to get off my birth control. Um, I 
had uh, an IUD in at that point, but I was on some sort of birth control for almost 10 years at that point um, due to a PCOS diagnosis that I got when I was really young. And honestly, like probably could have explored a lot of options before prescribing birth control to like a 12 year old. Um, why? No problem. And the thing is that I don't even, I didn't even have a, like an easy go with it from the start. I remember like, even at that age, having to change pills like three or four times because I was having every symptom, like either vomiting or headaches, like whatever it was, I, it was not like, <laughs> It didn't feel like it was solving anything, but right. yeah. So I I got to kind of this point where I was like, all right, I have time on my hands. Let me just figure this out. And I'm uh, like a prolific obsessive researcher with anything that I do, and I get very like deep into something that feels right. Um, so I started researching um, like nutritional approaches to reversing PCOS, regulating your cycle. Um, I use two main books as kind of my resource. They're pretty common. I've heard them come up a couple of times. Um, one was beyond the pill. Uh, I think her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton. And then the other one was eight steps to reverse your PCOS by, um, Fiona McCullough. And those books, they kind of complemented each other. There wasn't really anything contradictory, but they took slightly different approaches from a nutritional standpoint to kind of regulating your hormones and then also reversing a lot of the secondary symptoms from birth control, kind of detoxing your system and um, becoming regular. And that was like, I don't know, the first time in my life that I was like, whoa, I feel good. I actually feel good. My energy levels are stable all the time. I am in a great mood despite like nothing external really changing. Um, and so I just kind of got like deeper and deeper into my nutrition, understanding my body, really tuning into what was going on. I got like a continuous glucose monitor to really look at what was happening. Um, worked with a nutritionist for a little while to kind of interpret some of those numbers and kind of ended up in the very, um, I think it's very quintessential to this community, but in the very typical pattern of like, oh, something's wrong. Let me figure out um, how to take responsibility for actually, you know, taking care of my body and tuning into what's happening to, you know, trying like a whole 30 or a paleo and then getting into the like, all right, I can do the next thing, um, you know, pro metabolic sphere, thinking about minerals, like all of that stuff. Um, and I was very much at the beginning of that journey when I got pregnant um, and it totally caught me off guard. Like I was, I was not ready to be pregnant, even though I think I'm one of those people that's like always, I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. I've always known that I would enjoy all that comes with it. Um, not just kind of like the, the Instagrammable moments. Um, but I was just kind of like, I don't know. I, I did not know what was going on. I was like, okay, this is this is kind of crazy. Um, and my husband, who 
is like an amazing support system. At the beginning of my pregnancy, it was like checked out. Like he was running, he started like running every day. He was like processing it in his own way. Um, And, you know, we had to kind of come back together and like really show up um, for one another in that process. But yeah, at the beginning, we were just kind of like, uh, what are we doing? We were still living with my parents at that moment. Um, like it was just kind of crazy. And, um, I, at that moment was building a teardrop trailer, which I still haven't finished, um, from scratch. And I had all this time that I was like sanding and varnishing and like refinishing, um, you know, like little tedious pieces of it. And I was just listening to everything I could find on pregnancy. I listened to, you know, some of the more mainstream books at first. And then, um, you know, at the same time was starting my appointments with a, with an OBGYN. Um, again, I'm not, uh, I, I haven't been in Milwaukee at that point for very long. So I just, you know, I found somebody with good reviews. I liked her personality. She was very, um, just like straightforward. Uh, and, yeah, we started those OBGYN appointments and those were kind of exciting at first because it kind of like made things real and, um, you know, gave me a lot of, it felt like just context for what was going on in my body and, and really helped me tune in to the fact that, okay, like there's, there's this other little human here now. And it's not just about like how I feel about the situation or how it happened. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where I was at the beginning of my pregnancy before I started really like taking responsibility for what was happening. I was just sort of absorbing all the information that I could at that point. Wow. That is so interesting. Um, I mean, the the entire process is so interesting, but to know, you know, at the beginning, here you are um, starting from just a very traditional route, just we're seeing the OB, like, but at the same time, you are this researcher. So you begin with the traditional, like regular mainstream books. Um, So now I'm really curious to hear what changed. Like, how did you get from where you were to where you eventually started going? Yeah, I think there are kind of like two things that really change the trajectory of how I was thinking about my pregnancy. The first is kind of like more emotional. I, we had a little gender reveal. My older sister threw it for us. And for context, I am one of three girls. My uncle has three girls and my older sister has two girls at this point. Um, so the, you know, the odds of having a girl were obviously quite high in my family, but I had never imagined it for some reason. Like I didn't actively think about it, but whenever I thought about having a family, I always imagined like this, like little army of, of little boys. And that was kind of what was in my head. Um, so we had this little gender reveal and I had a total panic attack the second I found out that um, she was a girl. Like I I, had, I was like in the basement in my sister's house, like crying and freaking out. And I had no idea why I was like, just, it felt, I was very guilty about it because there was, you know, I was having a pretty typical pregnancy. Um, you know, the baby was healthy and that's kind of, 
it felt so strange to be so disappointed by something that like I didn't really understand. I didn't understand why it was important to me, why why I was having this sort of like visceral reaction. Um, and in kind of processing my own relationship with my mom, who I would say I'm pretty close with for the most part, um, I kind of realized that a lot of it had to do with my unprocessed emotions there and, you know, not necessarily feeling like I could depend on her growing up emotionally, depend on kind of like her to be reliable. Um, and I don't know, I, I held a lot of her emotional burden growing up and still in a way do. Um, and when I kind of realized that I started shifting to this point of like, okay, I'm showing up differently for my daughter. And it's not like, it's not going to be the same situation. Um, and that's kind of where I really started thinking about like how I'm going to do that. And part of it was really taking responsibility for everything that I do myself and also like for my daughter. Sorry that I'm getting emotional. I think that's like a very normal thing to talk cry anytime you talk about your own mother. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was really like, okay, I'm doing things differently. Like, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to like, I need to do a lot of work on myself. And that, you know, that includes like taking care of my body and my health and taking responsibility for that. Um, and the same thing for my, for my baby. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, like I'm, I, I'm like, I hold the reins on this pregnancy now. And like, I have consumed everything I could consume and now I'm going to make decisions. And that was like this really cool moment because I was like, okay, I always wanted a home birth. I don't know where that came from. I just said that like randomly to my, to my husband one day, probably from watching call the midwife, like prolifically on Netflix. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was like, Oh, I, I want a home birth. And you know, I, I think maybe it came up and I listened to like Mama Natural and some of the more um, like somewhat like crunchy, I guess, birthing books. Um, it was helpful. It was just like surface level, I think at that point, just listening to the book. Um, but yeah, I like I heard it was a thing and I just randomly said that one day and my husband was like, uh, like maybe let's just have the first baby, you know, like the way that we were like planning to, which was just going to be like our OB birthing center. Um, I realized kind of through our appointments that the OB plus birthing center was not going to be very different from a hospital. Uh, it was attached to the hospital. It had the same entrance. It was kind of like, all right, this isn't really like an alternate situation. <laughs> Starting to seem like the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, same thing. Like I, you know, I, I definitely would have trusted my OB in an emergency situation to like be very pro proficient at what she was doing. But our appointments were like five minutes. I didn't have any real health issues. She didn't really respond to like things that I was um, talking about in a very comprehensive manner. It was very much like, oh yeah, that's normal. You're throwing up three times a day for the first four or five months. No problem. Like 
it's normal. Or you can take Zofran, I think it is for, for nausea. And I was like, nah, like that's not like a great answer for me. Um, and that was kind of one of the things. And then, you know, I would, I would say, Hey, like, uh, we, you know, let's talk about my birth plan, my preferences. Just like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Like you want to do it naturally. I won't stand in your way. Like whatever I was saying, she was kind of like accommodating, but not really like diving into. And it kind of felt like, oh, everybody says that and that's fine. Um, And so I don't know, that kind of was like in the back of my head that I wasn't really feeling not only like heard, but not really like a priority in terms of what was important in like having the baby. It didn't feel like my preferences were really like something to talk about or, or explore really. It was kind of like, okay, you can show up with a birth plan. And if that's how it goes, that's cool with me. If not, like I'm going to do my thing. Um, And yeah, I was just like, okay, I had my 28 week scan and I was like, I'm going to interview some midwives now. Like I am healthy. The baby's healthy. I haven't had any like red flags throughout this process. I'm going to like, just see, I'm going to see. And I think I really had already had my heart on it, especially because we had just moved into our home and I was like nesting. It was so cozy It's like, ooh, this is kind of like, I can visualize having the baby here now. We have a tub, which I didn't end up in, but like we had these things. I was like, okay, like let's, you know, um, let's talk to some people. And I, we did three interviews. I took the first one over the phone. And so I didn't even see um, the midwife that I eventually actually chose And I really liked her. She sounded like me, which was kind of weird. And it was something that my husband noticed later on too. We were, we have the same birthday. Um, She was just like very like-minded. And just, I just felt very like taken care of and heard. And she was also younger, which I don't know what I, I guess, I don't know what I imagined, but maybe from all my call to midwife kind of situations, I really liked the idea of having someone that was somewhat appear to kind of be there for me in that way, rather than like in more of a maternal um, kind of vibe. So I really liked her, but okay, we had these two other interviews. We hated the other two midwives. Like they were just not for us at all. And after those interviews, my husband was like, I don't know if this is like the right way to go. And it was like, please just talk to the first one again. Like you didn't talk to her. Let's just have a conversation with her. And again, it was just over the phone. We didn't like see one another. Um, and he loved her right away too. So we were like, okay, like the, as soon as we hung up the phone, he was like, yeah, we should do this at home. This is a great idea. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. Like he was totally on board. Um, just from, I think just from having his answers question or his questions answered um, so thoroughly and actually having, I think like just some care for what he thought and his role in the process and reassuring him. And it was interesting because I think that my midwife actually during the birth ended up being more of a support to him supporting me than to me directly. Um, and that worked for us. It was just like, I really appreciated that they had a connection and he felt very supported by her as well. And I think that that really 
changed his buy-in in like how the process would look and also kind of postpartum care and everything like that. Um, and so we're at like 30 weeks ish, I think when we had my first appointment. Um, so it was pretty quick. I think we had a couple of the intervals that were like two weeks apart and then right away it was every week. Um, and in preparing for my home birth, I kind of started getting my family ready for it as well. Uh, my husband and I had like watched, we were watching some, I think we watched the Mama Natural birthing course um, just to kind of get the high level of what was going to happen. I, you had just come out with your course and I wish I would have taken that, but it was like a couple of weeks before I had Noah. I had her in January, end of January of last year um, or of this year, I guess this year. And, um, so yeah, we had, we felt like pretty prepared, but I had wanted to have both of my parents, uh, present. I'm, uh, again, I'm like, we're pretty just, we just see each other a lot. We're close. I'm really close to my dad. Um, and my husband actually works with my dad's now. So they were all so close. And I thought, okay, like my mom will be there for me. And then, you know, my my dad and my dad can kind of be a moral supporter, like a friend to my husband. And also he can take care of the dogs because we have two dogs that, I don't know, I imagine this like 48-hour labor saga. And, you know, I figured, you know, they need to eat and go out. So that'll be cool. But I wanted them at home. Um, and anyway, so we had like this dinner, we brought my parents over, we're like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Like, here's all the like safety information. Um, the midwife collective in Milwaukee is linked to the midwifery group in the hospital. So now that's not as much of a concern for me, but with this first birth, it reassured me to know that, okay, if I end up having to transfer, the hospital staff is not going to look at me like I'm crazy. They'll be prepared. They'll have my records. Um, my midwife can stay with me. Like this all felt really safe to me, um, especially because we're like maximum of 10 minutes from the hospital. There's no such thing as traffic in the area that we're in. So um, it just, I felt safe and we answered all those questions. Um, my dad has a very similar personality to me. He was asking a lot of questions, very curious. He's also very like, uh, he's, he's very comfortable with like gory things. Like he has requested not to be put under for like all, any minor surgery that he's had so he could watch. Like he's very, he's like me. He just like wants to know exactly what's happening and, and isn't like remotely disgusted by it um so he was asking questions questions. (laughs) yeah exactly yeah he his um I think it was like a hernia or something he got removed at some point that that doctor like he tells the story of my dad to like other patients when they ask like is it going to be painful or like what what's going to happen he's like well you can watch like this one guy and yeah so super funny um, so I don't know. I, we left that dinner and it felt good. We were like, okay, this is going to be great. It's just going to be like the four of us. And then, you know, if I want more, if I want more support, maybe my sisters will come in. Um, I'm also close with my aunt who's a nurse and 
she got on board. She we had a really long conversation. I answered all her questions and she was like, yeah, I think that this is going to be good. Um, and what's really interesting is she lost, uh, she lost the child almost 10 years ago now, um, giving birth. Uh, it was like due to a heart defect, but she had a lot of trauma associated with that, like went through a divorce after she had like as much trauma as you can have, I think around, um, you know, having a baby. And so for her to say, listen, this seems like you're going to be safe and supported and I want to be there if you'll, if you want me to, um, that felt like amazing. And I, I, I really like give her so much credit for like the way that she shows up for like her five nieces and like two, three great nieces now. So, um, she was, she was maybe going to be there. And anyway, it was like this whole thing. And then we brought my mom to my last midwife appointment, um, our last in like in office midwife appointment, uh, or maybe like second to last one of the later ones, just to see if she had any questions and for her to meet, um, the midwife so that she could like just get a sense of what was going on and I don't know, feel also supported and like she could ask questions and was part of a part of the process. Um, and my mom was like the worst in that appointment. She came out of the blue with like all these crazy questions that were really not researched and like, I don't know, just like, Oh, like what if she has to have an episiotomy? Like, I was like, mom, did you have an episiotomy? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay. So like, where's that from? Just like all these questions. Um, and the when she was getting the answer, she was like on her phone. It was just really bad. And after that, I was like, hey, you were kind of like checked out. Like, wasn't the best impression that you made, you know, on our midwife. Um, and... I don't know, for like lack of, I don't want to make it sound more dramatic than it is, but she's a very dramatic person. Um, she was like, I just can't sit by while my baby and her baby like perish, like crazy statements that were like very manipulative and not supportive. And at that point I was like 36 weeks, 37 weeks already. I was like, uh, okay, no, like I'm in my bubble. I have like my list of things I'm doing before I give birth. I got to finish my Lego puzzle. I've got to finish like nesting. I've got to do this. And like, you're not like this emotional drama that I thought I was like done with the whole like mother daughter dynamic. I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like I totally put all walls up. I was like only talking to my husband and my like one uh, close friend. And I was like, nope, like, Nobody else gets to like talk me through this. Um, my older sister, I think, like is it's an interesting dynamic. She's eight years older than me, and I think we're like just starting to really form a friendship. But she was really trying to like mitigate between me and my mom at that point. And I was like, no, like love you, but no, like I'm 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 right in this situation because just because I'm like her daughter. Like, that's it. Um, there's no other reason, but like her job is to show up for me when I need her. And that's right now. And so like, I was just done. I was like, not talking to anyone. My dad was really scared that I was going to just like, 
exclude them. And I don't know, that's, that was where I was at before. And when I, like, we had a conversation, my husband was like, when I'm in labor, I want to just see how it goes. I don't want to tell anyone right away. And if I want somebody there, like, that's some, we can just call them, but I'm not going to like, let them know when I'm in early labor. I'm not going to like make a plan for what's happening. I told everyone that I was going to labor, do early labor on my own and like chill with the dogs, watch TV and then like call if I, if I need them. Um, long story short, I didn't end up having any early labor. So it's like a non-issue. I was like non-verbal for the rest, like once the first contraction started. But um, yeah, I didn't end up having anyone other than my husband and my midwife there. And it was really intimate. And I, I really, you know, I really like cherished that experience, especially with my husband, because we hadn't been married for that long. Like we hadn't even dated for that long before we got married. So having like this moment of like, okay, can you show up in a moment where you're also kind of not knowing what's happening and being here for the first time, like that was really special. And I think like, he's super excited to do it again. And I'm really excited to actually tell him what I need this time, because conceptually speaking, like you can make you can have ideas of what you might need, but I like, you can't really know what you're going to need in the moment. So just having an open dialogue and being able to like give options. Like if I'm like this, you can do this. If I'm like this, you can do this without me needing to express that um, in the moment. I'm like, I'm excited to, to kind of get to do this a second time eventually. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of like where, where I was at when I was getting ready to have Noah and it was weird kind of like feeling of like partially being, I don't know, partially just being very disappointed and in relationships that I thought were stronger. Um, And I think also just being very much like for the first time, like in a maternal role, like, okay, no, like, now like I'm the mother to this baby and like my family and I have to just do what I need to do um and that was cool because I think I I tend to want to make everybody happy and this was like no 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 the only people I'm making happy are like the three of us and you know maybe the two dogs like that's that's it um and yeah so that's where I was when I kind of got to uh, somewhat towards my due date, I ended up a little earlier, but I'll 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 pause there for a minute. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think uh, this is such a lovely display of boundaries too, and it seems like that's just what you realized was like, I love these people. I I wanted these people involved in this experience, but I'm realizing that my duty is not to my mom; it's to my baby. Um, and so in that, in that realization, like, okay, well, the decisions that I make then are going to be for me and my baby. Um, so if that requires boundaries, then that requires boundaries. And that work can be really hard, especially for someone who identifies as being or recognizes, like, I have these people-pleasing tendencies. Um, that, that can be just such a difficult challenge. But I think that that is one of the most 
important challenges that birth can bring us um, that we're going to use over and over and over again in motherhood. So to be able to face that head on when you did, I'm sure that like looking back, it's like, well, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that I had to face it because now it's it's part of my motherhood. Not to say we never struggle again, but um, but that's really that's really incredible to hear, Miriam. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. I think I've noticed that pattern even more um, in the nine months postpartum. It's like, okay, here's here's this thing, and I'm tempted to just do the conventional thing to please everyone, so I don't have to answer any questions. And then I have this moment of, oh no, like that's not what I'm doing. I'm 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 responsible for this, not like everybody else. And I think that's really trickled into the way that we've made decisions around um, like the health of our baby and decisions we make in terms of her care um, and the way that we think about our future, too. It's no longer like, OK, let's like push the boundary a little bit without ruffling any feathers. It's very much like, no, this is this is exactly what I want to do. This is what feels right for me. And being just more unapologetic about it. I think I always kind of did the unconventional thing. I was just very like, oh yeah, haha, I'm silly, but I'm still going to do it kind of thing. And I'm like, no, no, this is just, this is, this is what I believe. And I think that's still really hard to do, but really like, as you said, it was kind of this transition to like, okay, now I'm now I'm a mother. I'm I this is my job to make these decisions and stand behind them for my family. And yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Well, and I mean, think about how much we as a society program, especially girls, to do that very thing. Like, let me just submit to your ideas. Let me just do what you think is best. I'm not going to have my own opinion. I'm just going to please everybody. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to not rock the boat. I mean, how much more, how much easier is that for any of these outside forces that want to control our families or control what it is that we're doing like that? That's preferable (laughs) opposed to a mom who's like, you know what? Actually bump that. I don't care what it is that you say is best. I know in my heart what's right. And I'm not going to let the fact that you think something different from me deter me from acting out on what is correct. Um, Oh, yeah, that's that's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, Well, so I want to hear then. All right, we're, we're you're close to your your guest date. Um, you you said you didn't make it exactly. So, what were those last kind of days and or maybe weeks like? Yeah. Um, so I, I I mentioned that I had like a little list of things that I needed to finish. Um, I so I'm I'm a consultant, so I don't really have like any built in time off. It's kind of just like time when things are slow and time um, between projects. And I was supposed to be wrapping up a project like right up to my due date or my guest date. Um, And so I had that kind of hanging over me and my God, like 40, almost 40 weeks pregnant, um, writing like CEO letters for like these multimillionaires who have no idea who's like actually the, the you know, behind their voice. Um, I'm just like, 
trying to wrap that up and get that off of my plate because it was just exhausting. And I honestly like couldn't really stay awake long enough to kind of do that. Um, and then I had like some funny projects. Uh, like I, I was just prolifically nesting in our rental. Um, we have this like 1960s kitchen, which is cute now. It's very charming now, but when we moved in, it was like just it was gross. Like it was, we had these blue square, uh, burnt plastic tiles all over the place and they were like falling off. And I spend the majority of my time in the kitchen. Like it, I couldn't do it. And it's a rental. We're not going to like, I don't know, take everything off and put new tiles on for, for, for the landlord. Um, but, uh, I got these like vinyl peel and stick tiles and I was up, at all hours, like sticking those things on and everything is crooked because it's an old house. So I had to like custom cut all of these little tiles. Um, I was like moving the fridge around. I was just, I needed to do that. I needed like to come downstairs um, after the baby was born and be in like a tiled kitchen. Um, So I was doing that. And then my husband who is, a very funny gift giver, I think. Um, he thought that it was a good idea to buy me a six thousand plus piece Lego Harry Potter puzzle for Christmas, and it is very fitting. It's a very fitting gift. It's not as random as it sounds because I I love puzzles. I only let myself do one a year because I just like don't do anything else while I'm working on this puzzle. And I like Harry Potter. It's Christmas. Like it was cute. Um, this thing was so hard and I could not have this baby and leave the 6,000 piece puzzle on the dining room table. Like I couldn't do it. So I had to finish this. And as soon as I finished the next day, I had the baby. Like it was (laughs) funny. (laughs) I love when that happens. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But in that, I think four or five days before, um, I had the baby. I was having prodromal labor and it was super manageable. Like I would wake up from it. It would last a couple of hours. It was uncomfortable. And then I'd go back to sleep. And it was always like starting around 9 p.m. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then it would just go away by like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. So I was pretty tired by the time I was actually ready to have the baby, um, apart from also staying up to finish the Legos. Uh, but yeah, like that was happening. Um, and you know, I felt like good about that. I'd listened to enough of, you know, your podcast episodes to know that, okay, my body's like doing what it's supposed to. It's doing some of the work up front. Um, and I also felt good about the fact that I could handle those contractions. It was fine. Like I tend to think about, think of myself as somebody with a fairly high pain threshold. Um, and I wasn't scared. I was just like ready at that point. Um, and it kind of let me know that things are kind of moving along. Um, and then I think my my guest date was February 2nd. And I was really trying to get to that day because it would have been 2-2-2-2. Two, 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 two. Um, anyway, I, I, I was getting ready. And um, on the 31st, in the maybe like 10 11 a.m i went to the bathroom and i was like oh i think this is like my mucus plug 
not sure. Texted my midwife and was like, what's this supposed to look like? Like, is it supposed to be super scary? Because it's not. I was like, it's, you know, it's there. But I was like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. I also know that that regenerates. So, okay, that was it. Then I had like a contraction. Uh, We were eating lunch and I had a contraction. And I was like, oh, this is a real one. Like, this is this feels different from the prodromal labor, but it was still fine. And I was like, again, I was like, oh, I'm going to just text um, a midwife because she had a bunch of births around the same time. So I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, let her know that she should count on me soon. Um, I text her. I was like, so, you know, maybe tomorrow, like <laughs> I'll be calling you to come over maybe like late at night. Um, and I don't remember what we were eating for lunch, but I had like two bites. And then I was like on the floor in the kitchen. I was like, oh, this is like not the same. Like this is I, I can't like talk through them. It was really intense. And I was like, oh, let me just time them. Um, and you know, everyone says like, have your husband time them, whatever. He was like, so convinced that this was just very early labor that he was not like doing a really great job. He was like, okay. Oh, another one. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure it's another one? My contraction timer, they were like two minutes apart from the first one. Like there was no, (laughs) there was no like lead up or anything. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go get in the shower. That will probably like help me and I will slow down. And I like, I will, you know, we'll get everything ready. Um, and again, my husband's like, oh, this is going to be long. Like, I also thought that I was like, this is going to take a while. So he's like making a cup of coffee. He's like, oh, okay, let me, uh, let me just like go see if I ha- we have that hose in the garage for the birth tub. And like, we had everything, but it was all kind of like, supposed to be a casual process of getting it together. And so, all right, I'm in the shower. And then he comes in, he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I couldn't talk at that point. I was like, on the floor in the shower. I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like I, I was just so shook by the fact that it was that intense so quickly. And I was already at that point starting to feel it in my back, which I was like, honestly, pretty pissed off about because I had done like all of the things. And in the moment I was like, no, like, no, I'm supposed to have this like calm birth. I'm supposed to have her in the water. Her name is Noah. She has to be born in the water. Like it was a whole thing. And I... I'm not super flexible in terms of like changes to my vision. Um, and I was just angry. I was like so angry that I was having this, this very fast, intense experience. And I also didn't understand how it could be happening because I knew that she was already in the right position. Like she was face down, face forward, or I think that's the right, like, Facing your back, yeah. Facing my back, yes. So she was in the perfect position. I had had like three checkups with her in that position. I had had a Cairo appointment a couple of days before. Like everything was like set to have a manageable experience. And I wasn't expecting to like not have any pain. I I had done some like hypnobirthing courses, but I wasn't. I guess I didn't buy into it at that point that it would be painless. I just thought I could get through it and I wasn't scared. Um, And that stayed, that like lack of fear stayed throughout 
the labor, no matter like how I was feeling, I was never scared. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was super intense. Um, and I have like my timing. I asked my midwife for my timing. Cause I was like, maybe this is off. Like maybe this is, you know, whatever. No, my, like her, her, stages list was like oh one contraction at noon and then like one o'clock it's like active stage of labor and so I was very much just like in like in the midst of it all I was in the bathroom for most of the time just because that's where I was like I was just in the shower so I couldn't really go from there. Um, and then I was just either on my knees or all fours for the majority of um, my active labor until I went through transition. So I was just in the bathroom. I didn't notice when the midwives came. They came only like, I think they came right before I transitioned. So they um, they weren't there for that long. I didn't even notice the second midwife until after um, the baby was out. I really liked her. I, I apologized profusely for like <laughs> her walking into this intense situation. Um, and then at, so like my midwives arrived at 5.15. And then at 5.50, I went through transition and my water broke. Um, and... Yeah. And then I like, was like, no, I'm still having her in the, in the, I'm, I was on the toilet, which I hated. Um, I'm not doing that again, but my water broke there, which was like very convenient. Um, I was like, no, no, I'm having her in the water. Like you guys said to wait, you have to wait, you have to wait. No, now I'm like getting in the birthing tub. And so they were like, okay, but it was taking a long time to fill. And the hot water was like, I, we've never had an issue with hot water, but it was like not really getting very hot. Sometimes it's like to the point of boiling almost like I put it in the tea kettle and like 10 seconds later it's boiled. It's so hot, but it was just taking forever or felt like forever. It probably took a good like half an hour um, to get the tub filled. And I got in and I had like a quick moment of like reprieve. I was like talking for the first time. And I told my husband, I was like, if you want to take a picture, like this is, this is the time. Um, and he took one picture and it's super bad and very blurry. And I was like, okay, I'm done. No more. Like this is, it's, it's starting and pushing now. And um, I hadn't been checked in this time. Um, my midwife, I told her in advance that I don't really want to be checked. And that was kind of like her thing as well. Like she wasn't going to ask until, unless I asked to be checked. Um, but she was checking the heart rate, which was, it was quite often, um, but it didn't feel intrusive. She wasn't like, apart from when she was checking the heart rate, the fetal heart rate, she wasn't really in the room. Um, they were just like quietly getting stuff ready. At one point they were just kind of like sitting on the floor nearby, but not talking. Um, and her and the, the student midwife were just like very like out of the way. Um, there were a couple moments when I, where I could, when I was in the bathroom still that I could hear her kind of come up and say, remember to breathe. Like you can do this. And I'm like, I'm like growl screaming this whole time. Like it was kind of this guttural scream. I forgot everything about breathing and everything about like how to control things. I was trying my visualizations, I remember, but I was just like not really in my mind so much. Like I, I just 
wasn't really thinking about anything um, except that I was like annoyed that this was happening. Like this is not supposed to feel, it's not supposed to be back labor. That's what I was like, basically I kept saying to myself, like, why do I have back labor? Like, this is not, this is not cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like intense. Um, again, I was never scared and I also was never wishing that I was in the hospital. I never like wished that I was somewhere where I could get pain relief. And as much as I felt like, oh, I can't handle this. I also wasn't like hoping that somebody would take it away in a, in a sense. Like I, I was very much like confused about how I'm going to continue to do it, but I was also continuing to do it at the same time. Um, if that makes sense, it's kind of a weird yeah. way to say it. Uh, no, I think that's a perfect way to sum that up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was in the tub for a while. I tried reclining and I was not making any progress, um, pushing. And I think probably at that, at that point, um, wasn't that I wasn't making progress. It was just not effective. Like I, I wasn't able to really like get in the right position to feel like I was pushing effectively, um, at that point when I was like, my body was ready I think real, like looking back now, I wish that I had had more guidance to just like wait for the fetal ejection reflex to wait until my body was actually pushing, not just like the, the like rectal pressure, like feeling of needing to bear down because that I had, but I wasn't really understanding where, and my body wasn't really helping me at that point. Um, and so I was in the tub and I tried like moving around, um, Honestly, I just like couldn't get comfortable. And after, I don't know how long I was in the tub, uh, I guess, you know, maybe like half an hour, 45 minutes, um, my midwife suggested that I get out of the tub and get on the bed so that we can try on my side and on like to just kind of see what's going on. Um, I think she probably suspected based on the fact that all of my pain was in my back. Um, like it actually felt like my back was breaking in certain moments. And I was just like, not, I was not knowing like how this could be. I don't know. I was just not comprehending like how I could be in that much pain and still just like continuing to follow directions and like just do things. But I, I got out of the tub um, and we did some contractions on my side, which I hated that was actually the the thing that I I don't think if I'm like ever sound of mind in this moment to do it again that I would like I would do that because I don't know it was just like the worst feeling for me to be on my side um but I guess it kind of it did the trick I think um at that point she was pretty sure there was like a nuchal arm or elbow or hand or something um without checking me without really seeing what was going on. Oh, backtrack to say that I could feel her head for a very long time. Um, when I was in like, basically from this moment I got in the birthing tub, I could feel her head like with my finger. So like, I knew she was there and I was like, get, like, get out. It's, it's enough. Like, let's, let's do this. Um, so we kept trying on the bed and then um, I rolled over onto my back finally and she was able to say like, oh yeah, I can see that her hand 
is right up by her head. Um, and I can see that the cord is like also like, like she's like holding the cord kind of up on her head. Um, I know people are probably not going to watch the, rec the recording if that's posted, but it's, it kind of just like, looks like a, the baby is like dabbing or something. Um, and yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, like, what does that mean? She's like, nothing, like, you just need to, like, it's just going to take some time for her to, like, reposition and, and, and get out the right way. Um, and so I was pushing on my back, and I think in total I was pushing for two and a half hours. It felt like no time at all. Like, I really thought that this whole, the whole pushing phase of things was, like, 15 minutes, honestly, at most. That's what I thought it was. Um, and I think part of that is because I was actually able to do something. And that really brought me back to being present and that, you know, here I am doing this again, kind of going back to this idea of responsibility, not like this isn't happening to my body. I'm like, I'm working with my body. I've got to do this. And so the pushing, I actually enjoyed despite everything. Like that was where I felt most empowered and most um, just present in what was happening. And, you know, I was trying to like collaborate a little bit as much as I could. I was very nonverbal throughout all of this, but um, I was trying to like make also make suggestions and, and trying to move around. Um, and so, yeah. I was pushing for like two and a half hours and then um, I, I pushed her head out and her head and her hand, I guess, hand first, I guess, hand first and then head. Um, and then, you know, my midwife was like, okay, slow down. Let's like take it slow. And I was like, no. And I just shot her out. Um, I don't, I didn't wait for another contraction. I didn't wait for my body to do anything. I just like, she was like, oh, the head is out. And I was like, okay, that's my sign. Like, push. <laughs> and I, my husband was saying that it was like crazy. I literally just shot her out. Um, and the timing in, in the in the notes also is like head out. And then like nine seconds later, body out. <laughs> it was just like, okay. And then, um, yeah, and then she was born and I felt like very shocked kind of that I had had a baby like I I was just like okay um I had requested to catch her and even though I was on my back in a like traditional what is that position called it's there's like an autonomy yeah um I was in a pretty traditional like pushing position on my back but I was able to catch her myself and and um I put her on my stomach and she did the like uh, the breast crawl um, and started nursing right away. And I was just like, I like I was just like relaxed. I was not emotional in that moment. I looked at her and I was like, oh, who are you? Like, I don't know. I was just like very, I was just very relieved, I think, to be done um, with that back labor. And, um, I, it took me a while. It took me like probably a good hour to process that I had just like had a baby and to really like look at her and I don't know, just feel everything, feel like just that newness and meeting this new person. Um, but yeah, we were, 
we we were she was nursing right away um she was very big she was like well for i think she was big she was nine pounds and one ounce and i'm five two so and i'm very petite and she was just this massive baby and uh that made sense because i was like enormous in the end just like the biggest pregnant person that I I had personally seen up close, like my belly was just this massive watermelon. Um, but yeah, she was big and she was very active right away. She was very alert. Um, she was just like, I don't know. She was just not very newborn. Like it felt like to me, she was just very developed and, and, I don't know. It was just such a cool feeling to really get to like interact with her and observe her. And in the first days too, it just like, she was holding her head up from the beginning. Like I was never, I I don't know, like I would hand her to people and they'd be like, Oh, Oh, support her head. And I was like, no, like it's there. Like she's holding it. It's fine. Like it's a little jolty, but it's not like wobbling around. Um, And yeah, that's kind of, that, that was kind of where we were when she was born. Um, I did tear and it felt like it was more intense than I think it was just based on the amount of stitches I ended up having to have. Uh, but my midwife stitched me up at home. I guess it was only a second degree tear. Uh, that's what it says on my, on my notes. Um, and that was honestly the hardest part of recovery. And I think had I not just tried to like fire her out. Um, I probably could have avoided a little bit of that. Uh, obviously like that nuchal arm kind of, I don't know. I don't know if that contributed to it, but I think that generally speaking, if you're like slow and intentional, your, your body can kind of stretch a little bit easier than, than I allowed mine to. Um, so I got stitched up and my husband had skin to skin with her. And then, um, she was back on me and I like got a shower right away and um, got cleaned up and that's it. They didn't really do anything else that night. They tidied up. Um, they like, you know, finished their notes and um, they just like went home and, you know, said like congratulated us. And I, you know, she, I, she did all of like, she checked the baby, but I guess I was on me. So like, I never, either I was holding the baby or my husband was holding the baby, um, while I was getting stitches and yeah, we just stayed in bed. I had her in bed and we stayed in bed and, um, my wife came quite a bit, uh, more than was in like our contract in the first couple of days, uh, first couple of weeks, honestly, she came like every day for the first couple of days, uh, partially because it was like hard to do some of the tests. Like the hearing test was like, she wasn't, the baby was just like not having it one day. She was like, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. Um, we didn't force anything. So she would come and check on us. I was having, uh, not trouble nursing, but the baby had, well, she like, the midwife could see that she had a bit of a tongue tie and a lip tie. Um, and so it was kind of painful, although, you know, my milk came in normally and um, it was clear that, you know, she was getting enough milk. It was just very uncomfortable for me. Um, and we kind of like were, we were exploring like getting a revision or not. And, um, 
that was a moment that I really like appreciate uh, my my husband for kind of jumping in because he was like, hey, let's just wait. And I was like, no, I'm in so much pain. What do you mean? Like, why, why should we wait? And he was like, let's just wait. And the next day, I think it was like Corey Malloy or something released a podcast episode on um, like, like uh, tongue and lip ties and craniosacral and how kind of like those ties are actually very important in the body. And I was like, Oh, like, let's, let's try this. Um, So we went very quickly. Like, I think the, like within a week we went to a craniosacral therapist um, and we had uh, like a session with her for a week for the first month or for every week for the first month. And then every two weeks for, probably like the next three, four months, just because it was just so amazing. And after the first week, I was able to nurse without pain Uh, by four weeks, like she was, I could just see like the difference in um, the baby's posture and the way that she was holding herself. Um, She was just, she just released all of that tension that, you know, she also went through this process with me and um, had all of that in her body. And that was really cool to see. I started going too. Like it was just this very therapeutic time every week for us to just like get adjusted and release something every time. Um, and so, yeah, that was just like another aha moment of like, okay, everybody is kind of pushing us in the direction of doing the like expected thing with getting a revision and I'm tempted to do it. And then we have to like step back and say, okay, no, like, let me actually make this a decision and not just like the default. Um, and I'm so glad that those kind of moments keep coming up because that just reminds me every time. Yeah. The power, like, I don't know, just that ability to step back, like just taking that half step back and thinking like, okay, what's the big picture? Like, what are our other options? How how else can we think through this? Um, that's what it's all about. Like, that's just, instead of making these fear-based decisions, um, or, or even just like, you know, easy decisions, like it would be easier to just go get the release, you know, like, mm-hmm. but actually kind of having this more long-term perspective is huge. Um, yeah. and, and so incredible to see that played out. I love craniosacral therapy. <laughs> I love it. And like, I always think, but, but especially in your situation or in Noah's situation where, okay, if her hand was up by her face, if her yeah. arm, you said her arm was up, the umbilical cord is wrapped around it. Who knows how long it had been up there, even if it was just in the birthing process, but it could have been that she was in that position for a good bit, you know, um, and and the tension that was probably there that could have developed into like muscle imbalances and all of these different things. You were able to heal and release immediately, like immediately postpartum. That is the coolest thing in the world. That's so awesome. Yeah, I was I was really thankful for hearing about it enough so that when it came up again, I, I, I took it as a sign to like actually dive in and figure it out. Um, and I think that that's kind of where like consuming as much information as possible, listening to as many different types of birth stories and postpartum stories um, 
as you can. It kind of like, even if you don't absorb it, it sticks in your, in your brain somewhere. And then when you hear it a second time or whatever it is, like there's like a marketing term for it, right? When they like place words (laughs) into things and then eventually you're like, oh, I need, you know, I need an induction kettle, like out of nowhere. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of like, that's kind of what happened with a lot of these themes with nutrition, with health, with, with everything. Like you, you hear it and you kind of let it pass by. And then eventually when you need it, you're able to recall that information. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, your story is so interesting, Miriam, and it brings up just this idea that you can listen to all of the stories and yet your experience is still individual. It's still going to be different than every other thing that we've heard. Um, and, and that's clearly what you experienced. And kind of taking that step back and realizing, okay, like I had back labor the whole time. Definitely wasn't expecting that. Like that's not what I was planning for. Um, but then like kind of being able to look back later on and be like, well, yeah, I, I did. And that was my story. And and that's how she was in my body. She was positioned in this way. And we still worked together and we still got to the end of it. Uh, another thing that I thought was really interesting was the idea that you said, you know, it took you like an hour to kind of just get back to this place after you'd experienced it, um, after you'd or you'd gone through birth. It was like, it took a full hour to kind of be like, oh, okay, yeah, here we are. Here's this new baby here's this new person. And how incredible is it that you were at home for that? Because we think about in the hospital, it's like you get the golden hour, that's it, you get it. And then there's no telling what's going to happen after that. Whereas no, it it just took an hour for you to get to that place. And then you were immediately able to begin bonding in the way that you needed to and imprinting and connecting and all of these different things, you were not interrupted. Um, So I just think that your story is so incredible and it's just full of you making decisions for your family in a really responsible and just powerful way. Um, So I just thank you so much, Miriam. I thank you for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. It was such a joy to have you. Thank you, Caitlin. I'm really uh, thankful for being able to share my story and kind of process out loud with you. Um, and I hope that it gives, you know, other, especially new moms, um, you know, just like the thought in their mind that they still get to do it the way they want to the first time um, and take responsibility the first time around. And that there's a very wide range of how that might look, but ultimately it's about kind of your presence and your role in in your pregnancy, in your birth, and kind of in the health of your family. Wow, what an incredible story. As we head into today's episode roundup, I have a few thoughts. Number one, making difficult decisions in your pregnancy and birth feels not fun. <laughs> Setting up boundaries, especially for those of us who feel a need to please others, feels difficult, sometimes even wrong. But here's the thing, it's not wrong. In fact, it's necessary. Miriam began setting boundaries where she needed to at the end of her pregnancy and continues to do so postpartum. This is one of the key aspects of fully owning our role as a mother. Are we willing to forsake all others for our nuclear family? Truly? 
It's not easy, but it's what we've been called to do. And when we live our lives this way, I believe we will find more satisfaction in our role. Next, I want to mention the fact that Miriam's birth was really different from what she'd expected. Six hours, nonstop back labor, and a nuchal arm wrapped in an umbilical cord. This wasn't on a previous podcast episode. But I think the amazing thing about preparing for birth holistically is our ability to look back at our experience with pride. She worked incredibly hard through her labor. She brought her baby from womb to world. This experience, it couldn't have been predicted, but it's certainly not any less amazing or valid than any other birth experience. In fact, it's incredible. If we can see birth with this sense of open-mindedness, we can appreciate our experience, however unexpected it may be. And finally, isn't it amazing that because Miriam was at home, she didn't get disturbed once her magical golden hour was up? That didn't mean free reign, anything goes. No, she was still left to snuggle with her newborn as she was finally returning from the difficult experience of giving birth. Sometimes it may take us a while to come around, especially after an intense birth like Miriam's. To think that if she would have been elsewhere, she may have been completely interrupted once she was beginning to truly bond is heartbreaking. Miriam's story is so impressive, so incredible, and there is so much richness to it. And it actually doesn't even stop there. She has written a blog post that is pretty mind-blowingly awesome, all about the first 40 days and how we can actually prepare in a thoughtful way for it. It kind of takes meal planning and turns the lights on. <laughs> like, And in the article, she even says, like, Postpartum meal prep is not about hoarding casseroles or ready-to-bake lasagna. This is her guide to making ready-to-cook large quantities of nutrient-dense, ancestral, and healing foods that you'll crave for the first 40 days and beyond. I loved this blog post that she wrote, so I am putting it in the show notes below. Make sure that you check it out. This is such good stuff. All right, my friends, I hope that you enjoyed this episode thoroughly. I hope that you are looking forward to this Friday or whenever you listen to this to the new mini course that will be coming out. Make sure you check my Instagram page for that and then I will give the link uh, afterwards next week. So I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.